Welcome back to another episode of Leafs Talk Forever. Uh, just Scott and Spencer with you again tonight. Um, it's been approximately what fourteen days, almost two weeks to more, or two weeks uh, is Friday. Yeah, almost two weeks since the Maple Leafs were bounced from the second round of contention uh, by the uh, sorry by the uh, Florida Panthers, who have then gone on to uh, have a same three nothing serious lead on the Carolina Hurricanes. Um, so it could be their year. Uh, just before we get into any discussions, obviously a lot of getting what to do with uh, new GM, potential core for trade, Sheldon Keefe, what's next for his future. I want to just touch on two things quickly. Uh, one is the podcast schedule. So uh, unfortunately, we're not going to be doing every week as if as we've done in the past in the summer. Um, me and Scott are joined a baseball team or made a baseball team. And Kyle also plays baseball as well as other life events. Um, so we're going to be doing it sporadically throughout the summer. So we're going to be doing it tonight. Uh, and then once the next one, a week before the draft. So basically three, four weeks from now. Yeah. Uh, and then the draft week. And then we'll probably take a week off and then we'll do free agency. Uh, and then we'll potentially do one after free agency. And then we'll do one later into the summer, into August. Um, yeah, I mean, obviously... People who listen to hockey podcasts know that hockey podcasts get uh, a few and far between to find one that's uh, consistent throughout the summer besides like the cam trick podcast, but they do more of interviewing. We aren't. So unless we get an interview, then we'll, we'll jump on. But other than that, we're basically just chilling this summer and doing other activities. And then I'm going to come back to the lease pod uh, for the new year. Uh, new hockey season. Also just want to mention this uh, a development from a Larry Brooks post article. Um, apparently there's a report out there that the NHL PA, so Players Association and the NHL has agreed on potentially upping next year's season to 84 games from 82. Uh, so we'll, we'll chase this story as it goes on. And obviously in the next podcast, if there is breaking news and huge news, then we'll jump on and do one. But, um, mostly everything's going to be covered. Everything's going to be out there for Melly Friedman. So, uh, just check him out. Uh, so let's get right into it. Unfortunately, I guess a week ago, Friday. No, what is that? Four days from now? Last Friday, that just passed over. Uh, yeah. News came down from the NHL or Trauma Police that Brent Shannon had, had let Cal Dubas go. Um, uh, I want to get your initial reaction before the press conference. What was your next re- initial reaction, Scott? Uh, well, I mean, shock. I didn't expect him to be the one that was like, oh, I thought maybe it would be Sheldon Keefe or they would just bring it all back with uh, new depth pieces and try to make it out of the second round. Because, I mean, I thought this year specifically Kyle Dubas did pretty well adding players that should have pushed us past that that uh, hurdle that we need to get over, which I guess in a way you could argue because we made it on the first round, but we still haven't won the cup. Uh, so I was, I was shocked when I when I first heard it, because I, I wasn't expecting him to be the one that was let go. Obviously, there was the rumblings that he was going to Pittsburgh and, and a few other teams had interest in if the Leafs were bringing him back, but I didn't believe any of that. I thought they'd give him a new contract and he'd continue to work to, to try to win a Stanley Cup by uh, tweaking the roster that he's assembled. But Yeah, so definite, definite, uh, definite shock. Um, I think my reaction was actually, oh, shit. 
Yeah, I uh, I don't know what that noise was, but I definitely was very shocked when I found out that I think you sent it to the group chat actually. Yeah, and it was just like there are certain things in sports or certain things in this world that when you get, they're truly a shock. So, for example, when Michael Jackson died, that shocked us. Uh, me and Scott were actually outside playing soccer um, with our brother Matt. Uh, when Robin Williams died, who's like one of our mom's, or one of our, our mom's, one of her favorite actors. Um, and that was a shock. Me and Scott were outside playing catch. <laughs> um, and then I would say probably the other big shock that I can really remember that truly got my blood going was when Toronto got the first overall pick. I, Scott was inside watching the TV and I was outside helping my brother build a shed. And then after that, like the ones I can truly remember is definitely this one. The ones that pop up on your phone or the one that someone runs outside to tell you, or, you know, you got a call and it's just absolute shocking news. And when I came back, I was talking to a customer at work. I came back to my work truck, grabbed my work phone, grabbed my personal phone, saw that I had like 17 Twitter notifications. And I'm like, what the hell? And then I, I saw Lee Stock Forever group chat, clicked it, and it was just like I, I swear I could almost pass down. It was um I mean I put in the group chat. I, I'm a I'm a huge Kyle Lewis fan. I like everything that he's about. So kind of sucks that he's gone, but should make for an interesting offseason, which should also going back to the podcast schedule, it might make us do more frequent podcasts. Like if there's big, big breaking news, like a trade, you know, we're not gonna go four weeks without doing that. So We'll be with you throughout that. Um, but kind of interesting time is to be at least fan. Well, and what's funny though, because you it, it seems like it's split. Like there's the ones who like were shocked, but I've kind of come to terms with it and said, Yeah, we maybe needed a new voice, new direction, one who can bring different different players into the organization that can help us win. And then the other reaction is the sky is falling. Matthews, Marner, N- uh, Nylander are all gone. They're going to rebuild. What are the Leafs doing? Uh, uh, Brendan Shanahan's an idiot. Uh, like this panic, 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 which I think is kind of hilarious because we still, even if it's just next year, we still have most of the roster for next year. Um, and I'm sure whoever they bring in is going to want to keep Austin Matthews, William Nylander, Mitch Marner, because every team in the league is going to be lined up to get those guys. So, uh, yeah, I thought it was funny how like once one half is like, yeah, like you could have seen it coming, and the other half is just like, uh, Toronto, Toronto's gonna go back to being last in the league because everybody's gonna want to leave. Yeah, and and the the thing that absolutely shocks me the most is that like almost all the insiders are saying the exact same thing. You know what I mean? Like Dreger, Friedman, LeBron, all of them are saying. Um, like basically, Toronto has big decisions to make. Um, they've they've got to search for a GM, potentially leave up to that GM who the head coach is. That GM then might have to trade one the court for. And I think that's adding to the the pressures of being a Leafs fan. However, then you get and I'm one of them. Don't get me wrong. Like I write articles, what I don't know, two three times a week, depending. Uh, about all things Leafs, and there's just Leafs fans out there that write articles, and they're just spewing this sh- this shit, and it's just like, um, it it just 
it completely shocks me because those are the posts that you see people and it's truly this guy's following because they'll put their own spin on what they heard. So, for example, they'll listen to the 32 Thoughts podcast and Elliot Freeman says, here are five candidates for the least GM or um, potentially Austin Matthews might not get signed and even with Kyle Dubas till July 1st. And it's just bombshells. These guys are just writing articles after articles after articles on their own personal ideas saying a quote-unquote source told them. It's like... Everyone relax and go right to the insiders. And that's including me who writes articles. I would never write spewing this rhetoric that just doesn't make any sense. However, when you see different um, websites that are just hockey fans that write, don't listen to them for the grace of God because that isn't always necessarily necessarily the truth. And I think, going back to your point, is when you click on the comments on those on those posts, it's legitimately this guy's fault. Like someone writes an article about how Toronto might not be able to sign Nassim Matthews by July first, like, and people are freaking out. Like, no offense, but are you dumb? Because that's that's clearly obvious now. They got to find a new GM. Apparently, they're up to they're interviewing up to fourteen candidates. So that's going to take. Let's just say that takes the rest of this week. Then they got to narrow down that search. They're probably going to do a second round of candidates or the second round of interviews, which could take till next Wednesday. That puts us at what? Almost the beginning of July or June, sorry? Yeah. Well, yeah. That's, yeah. Like just the end of May. Yeah. And then by that time, the playoffs might be over by the time they get a play or get a GM. And then that GM's got to connect with the players, talk to the players about the direction of the team, but they which direction they want to go, try and get all the core four on board. And then also make all the moves that necessary before July 1st. But also in between then and July 1st, when all the contracts change into no movement and no trade and Matthews is eligible, blah, blah, blah. They also have the draft. And the draft could be a big thing. So please don't react as if like Toronto's going to blow this thing up in two seconds when there's like, it, it should be, it should be obvious to people that this is going to mean hence times. It's going to potentially mean big changes. You know what I mean? Like, I just, I don't know if I word that right or if it seems really confusing, but it just seems like if I, if we're, if we're, if we're saying anything for people who listen to our show, don't listen to all these, including me. I don't even know what you want to call them freelance writers who are just writing things unless they are sourcing it with Elliot Freeman or with Pierre Lebrun, because that's where people get all hectic and, and that's where I get the people who sit on Facebook and say, Oh, I was reading this article about this person and this person might be traded. It's like those people don't have any back history. Like the only famous person I know who writes is David Alter. And David Alter gets all sources sure. from other people. I think this year of, of all years, I've noticed more that even like named reporters, that quote unquote insiders are are putting out stories, articles that are like clickbait. Purposely what? Clickbait. Well, I wouldn't say clickbait, but their 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 purpose is to generate a buzz. Like they they throw out the Austin Matthews won't resign by by January, uh, July first, knowing well that technically he can't anyway. But then people see it, they'll spread it around. It'll it'll draw more attention to the article, the news story, the Twitter page, and then they'll they'll generate more like interaction to get to get potentially more money, right? Like I've noticed that yeah. more and more like this year alone. Maybe I just haven't really paid attention the last couple of years, but. Like this year, I noticed it a lot that they put that out. Like Frank Cervelli at the trade deadline with uh, uh, Toronto messed up getting Ron O'Reilly, and then it was a huge story for a week. And then, 
the, the Toronto in the playoffs, and the second they lost the first game, and it was, oh, Toronto, here we go again. And then it was a buzz story for a week, and then they beat Tampa Bay, and it was a story for one day until they lost to Florida. And then, so it just seems like this year, among all years that I've noticed, like even like Elliot Freeman level insider, reporter, whatever you want to call them, it seems like they're putting out just to try to generate attention to their, themselves as opposed to actually worrying about what the article is actually trying to say. Yeah, I mean, that, that could be fair. Um, I guess the, the, the word I was using was clickbait, don't fall for it. Okay, so search for the new GM. Uh, some options if you want to read it off. Uh, and then we'll get your opinion on. I, I mean, I don't have the Google Doc open. Okay, so search for the, some GMs. We got Brad Free Living, Free Living, who was just fired, or mutually parted ways in Calgary. We got, uh, I think it's Mark Hunter, Mark Hunter, I believe, yeah. who was the assistant GM as well as Kyle Dubas when they won with Kyle Dubas. Gar Snow, former goaltender for the uh, Islanders. Eric Tolsky, who's the mastermind behind the Carolina Hurricanes. Brandon Freedom, who's part of the mastermind behind Toronto Maple Leafs. He's the assistant GM and the capologist. Um, among other options, uh, some people are saying, I forget the one guy's name. I think it's Mike Gillis. Gillies or Gillis. He applied. Uh, he he actually was in the running for the NHLPA executive spot. Didn't get it. Uh, there's Mike Fuda, who applied years ago. He's a scout now on uh, Sports Center or Sportsnet. There's tons of options. Which guy? Like you had mentioned something when we were eating just before the podcast. Which person would stand out to you if if you even need to go off the map? Because I like your idea that you talked about. Yeah. Because yeah. it seems to be a, a common thing now is that teams are looking at players like the late 90s, early 2000s era players to, to step into those style management roles. Like Yeiserman went back to Detroit. Rob Blake's in there. Bill Guerin's in there. Craig Con- Conroy with Calgary today. Um, and Jerome McGinley next year. Well, yeah, and there's a couple more, I think. I can't remember them now, but, like, I mean, I guess really Toronto doesn't have that – of that era of players, not that many of them went into, like, a management role. Like, Jeff O'Neill's on TV. But other than that, most of them are just doing their own things away from hockey and making an appearance every once in a while. But, I, yeah, yeah, I thought it would be cool if they tried to, to bring in a guy um, – former player to, to, to lead the team. Um, Cause they, again, it was I, just for the moment popped in my head and like a lot of teams seem to be doing it. So I thought it'd be cool. Yeah. And um, I guess this should have also been mentioned off the top as well as with Kyle Dewis, but Toronto had a player who played for the team or person who played for the team who was in management, trying to learn it. Uh, uh, Jason Spezza. Unfortunately, he resigned. He put in his uh, resignation form for a letter when Kyle Dubas was let go because he was loyal and obviously doesn't like it. However, he, there's rumors that him and Kyle Dubas, excuse me, are both linked to uh, the Ottawa Senators, which would then tie in with your thought with the early 2000s hockey players. There isn't really one that comes to mind for me for Toronto, like maybe Matt Sundin, but he's not involved with hockey ops. Um, yeah, I mean, um, like Gary Roberts went into like training. Yeah, he's like the best training. trainer. Yeah, uh, Darcy Tucker, Shane Corson have their own businesses. Yeah, and there are alumni them. or um, whatever they're called, there uh, ambassadors. Yeah, 
Jeff O'Neill went to TV. Thomas Carbillet didn't go to anything afterwards. He just did his own thing. Matt Stendine did his own thing. Brian yeah. McCabe did his own thing. No, and Brian McCabe's in management in uh, in Florida. Oh, like GM style management, or like I think he's I think he's part of yeah. like the the front office, but not necessarily hockey operations. Oh, okay. Well, there's one, I guess. If you but wanna... I think he's more on like the business side. Oh, like dollars uh-huh. and cents kind of thing. McGillney didn't. Newendike didn't. Uh, Cabrera didn't. Because even if you look outside, like Shane Doan was involved in Arizona. You know what I mean? Like the be- the biggest players from that era of late nineties two thousands stayed with the team. Next year, Drum McGinley has a coaching uh job this year, uh somewhere in Calgary, I believe, and then uh he's joining the team next year. Uh the Calgary Flames. Yeah. Eric Tongay, I believe he's an assistant coach in Tampa, I think. Um and he's supposed to be the lead uh candidate for the Flames who he played with after Colorado with Tongay and Joe McGinley, like even coaching related, Toronto really doesn't have any former, like, I mean, Bruce um, Burbrow, well, I mean, like, you know what I mean? But they don't yeah, have any former Phil players Housley. from that time. Who? Wasn't, didn't Phil Housley play the least for like a year? Oh, and um, Buffalo. I don't, I, I, yeah, I guess that's true. But I mean, yeah, that I just mean like bigger quality, like not that oh, he's not a big like name, but like, years. yeah. Like five plus years with the team, yeah. Yeah, like say for example Thomas Caberlet style, like he was he was here, he was part of the pieces. I mean, that's hard for Toronto too because most of the people from that era only stayed for like two years. Yeah, during like, that. There's one like there's like Tucker, Caberlet, Andrew Paul, Ponikarowski, but everybody else was like one, two, maybe three years. Then they retired because it was the end of their careers, right? Yeah. I'm just not yeah, sure. Just, like, I thought of it when I saw the Craig Conroy news. Actually, I think I thought it'd be cool that Toronto had someone like that. And then, but there's not really anybody off the top of my head that I could think of that is even in a management role that would fill in those situations. Like, to be honest with you, the two people that come to mind would be Eric Tolsky and Brennan Pridham. Yeah, Brennan Pridham has the relationship with all the players. With all the cores, with all their agents, their families. Excuse me. Eric Tolsky, he just has the reputation around the NHL. Pardon me? Yeah. I said he has the track record. Yeah, like he is. Oh, and there's also Matthew Darsh, apparently, and Mark Bergevin has options, too. Because Shanahan wants a – I agree. But Shanahan wants a player who has a lot of uh, experience at it. Not necessarily as the general manager, but in a front office. Um, Brad Tree Living, I think that's a mistake. He traded Matthew Kachuk, and look how that turned yeah. out. I think of the people you named, I think the the guy from Carolina would be the best of them. Yeah, I mean, like truthfully, like Toronto already gave they didn't give him officially the interim interim tag, but he's handling all their interim business with his Brandon Pridham. He's handling all the. Um, well, everything from any kind of uh, trade offers until they get it, any kind of business-related uh, situations with trying to get a deal done or a verbal agreement with Matthews or whomever, Nylander, like he's handling all that. But so, is, there, is, is that the best move, though? Because he's – like obviously he was mentored by Kyle Dubas. He knows Kyle Dubas' style. He'll probably just do a similar style of GM. So how would that be any different than just having Kyle Dubas back? I mean, obviously that 
hypothetical because he could be a completely different style GM and change the way he looks at the team when he's actually in the role as opposed to just like basing it on what Kyle Dubas wants and needs. But it's it's similar to like the Sheldon Keefe Mike Babcock. Like Sheldon Keefe was in the minors learning the Toronto system, teaching it to the minor league players and then replaced Mike Babcock as the coach and was the similar style coach. So like besides like the backstage, behind the scenes aggressiveness or discipline or whatever, but like if, if you're replacing Dubas with Predom and Predom doesn't do anything different than Dubas did, then why didn't you just re-sign Kyle Dubas? Yeah, that's true. Mm-hmm. I agree with that. However, some people think that the assistant GM in, in this case, Brandon Predom has, um, they have the ability to see the team in a different light than the general manager. It's kind of like the way that it was described on the podcast I listened to. Uh, well, I actually think it was real kid from born was kind of like when you're dating someone and your family sees a completely different side of the person, but you like, like say for example, Kyle Dubas wouldn't see that side of the person, but the family around him's like, this person's clearly an idiot. I guess it's like that, like how yeah. they think it's going to be is like Eric, uh, Brandon Pridham would come in and say, all right, obviously say one of the core needs to go or Justin Hall needs to go or Alex Kerfoot's a waste of money. You know what I mean? Yeah. Because realistically, he was the capologist, so his his number one role was to deal with contracts and talk to the other teams, GMs, when they figured out, and the league when they figured out trades. Like when Kyle Dubas had the trade in place, and it was a gr- approved by the Shanahan and the board. Yeah, he was the he was the Jonah Hill to Brad Pitt. Exactly. <laughs> However, that's another thing that Kyle Dubas wanted to get rid of in his new contract offer. He asked for a change in the system. So right now it went. Um, Kyle Dubas say negotiates a contract. Kyle Dubas negotiates a trade. He would go to Shanahan. Shanahan would go to the board. They'd wait for the board's approval. The board approval could take whatever. Let's just say in this situation, six hours. Okay? Um, they're trying to get the Ryan O'Reilly deal done. It takes six hours. They come back to Shanahan. Then Shanahan, you know, whatever. I don't know what he could be doing, but let's just say he doesn't get back to Kyle Dubas for an hour. Then it goes back down to Kyle Dubas seven hours later after the trade negotiations the deal is done. So I think he wanted it to be a quicker chain. Like he goes to the board, the board gives him permission. He's done. But Shanahan in the middle wanted to be a part of it. So that's another reason as to people essentially said he was trying to push Shanahan out. However, that could be true, but it also could just been a smarter hockey move. Especially when you think about all the trades that didn't happen because of that system. Like, think about, like, Toronto could have been in on, um, I don't even know who the big fish was, maybe Matias at home. Maybe they were in on Alex Petrangelo before, and then Kyle Dubas just said they weren't to save, save face. You know what I mean? Like, they could have been in on players, but then the board and the, the system well, that I mean, they had. But the Petrangelo one, even Petrangelo said that the Leafs and him hadn't talked. No, I, I know. I'm just saying, like, in that situation, like, not necessarily Petrangelo, and, and put in whomever you think – or want, but like there could be a reality where Toronto was in on a lot more trades or a lot more players, and it just didn't work or didn't happen because the system that they had in place. Yeah, I don't. Know. I feel like you need to if now that Dubas is for sure not coming back, I feel like you need to change it up a bit. You need a guy in there who one has a track record, which I mean, there's a few that have been prior GMs, but if that guy, one guy was the key one of the key guys in the Carolina rebuild. 
or the Carolina like development. Oh yeah. He's a good bet there, but you also need someone who's different style thinking than Dubas. And not just the Sue Greyhound connection, but like Dubas seemed to bring in certain players that fit certain molds. And then it wasn't until this year that he actually brought in players that kind of shook things up, like Ron O'Reilly, Noel Achari, um, Zach Osser-Reese, um, Sam Lafferty. But I feel like you need a GM, now that Dubas isn't coming back, that has a different opposite mentality who would have brought in those players to begin with. Yeah. And then when he needs to, can bring in the skilled guys to complement the the, the, the the big four and the, the depth pieces that he's already brought in as opposed to trying to add scoring and then complementing them with the few depth gritty pieces that they bring in last minute to try to save his job. In, in the case of Kyle Dubas, because let's be real, if, if he knew 100% he was coming back, odds are he wasn't making a couple of those trades. Yeah, probably not. That's probably valid. Um, with that, though, like Eric Tolsky apparently was allegedly in the final decisions with Pittsburgh, as well as Matthew Darsh, um, and uh, and Matt and, and they said no. Like they said, like let's put it on hold because yeah. they want Kyle Dubas. Here's a question then. I know this is not least related, but it's still kind of related because Kyle Dubas. If um, Dubas does go to Pittsburgh, I know there's rumors now that he's going to Ottawa, but if he does go to Pittsburgh, does he do a complete like obviously Malkin Crosby stay, but like does he do a like a teardown rebuild or does he just try to retool rebuild? Yeah. To, to try to complement Crosby Malkin in the last couple of years and then worry about rebuilding properly after that or do you think he goes in and just says like it hasn't worked the last couple of years Crosby Malk can stay until they retire kind of like a Mario Lemieux type situation uh, but we're going to completely rebuild and tear it down and build it back up because even, think, the, even like I don't think they have really any big name guys coming through the system either No, maybe like maybe last year's draft but that'll be like another two three years away potentially right I think uh, I think at least for this year, he if he's in there, I think that like they're not gonna press him to make all these big big changes. I just think that it'll be like like changes like as if he made the Leafs, you know. What I mean, like just bring in additional depth pieces or additional secondary pieces. But I think like if it doesn't work this year, then next year or all of next season, it's gonna be. And I mean, like, let's just say they bring in, say, Phil Kessel and this person, this person, by Christmas, it's not working. Then I think it will be tasked with the tear it down. Yeah. Build it back up. That's true for the Leafs, though, but they were already in the process of rebuilding when Kyle Dubas came out. No, no, I didn't mean like they did. I just mean like this season. I just mean like this season. No, no, you you said like when when he came to the Leafs, but the Leafs had already done the tear down rebuild. And then he came in and added the other guys, right? What I, what I meant was but like, like if, what he did with his Leafs this season was when he just added like Ryan O'Reilly. Oh. Like I could see oh, them, for yeah. example, like adding Phil Kessel because Phil Kessel has a, a good track record playing with Malkin and Crosby. And you know what I mean? Like potentially even like some of the guys that he's favored in. Like for example, let's just say Pittsburgh has cap space and he goes there. Would Michael Bunting be an option? You know what I mean? Like uh, would Alex Kerfoot be an option? Because I those think, players would add a massive upgrades to what Pittsburgh had, but they would also have the connection of trusting the GM. 
Yeah. Of the two, I think Kerfoot is a better fit. His name kind of just sits, sits, suits Pittsburgh. Yeah. But I feel like Bunting this year specifically has shown that maybe the first year wasn't necessarily his – the way he – like it was kind of like an anomaly. Kind of like uh, he needs to make a statement so he played above his means. And then this yeah. year he kind of fell back down to what everybody expected him to be. But, so I, I don't think that, that that'll work in Pittsburgh. Because I feel like he'll try to do the same thing. And, uh, I mean, obviously he'll be playing potentially with Crosby Malkin, but I feel like he'll go there and try too hard and it'll just make him mess up because they, they don't have the same structure that Toronto has anymore anyway. Yeah. I think this year yeah. that Pittsburgh is kind of on the way down more than people expected them to be, even with Malkin and Crosby. So, of the two, I feel like Kerfoot would be a better fit. But I don't really see either of them going to Pittsburgh. Yeah, me either. I'm just saying, like, the connection there of yeah. Kyle Dubas, um not saying this would work, but, like, Justin Hall's out there. Um, like, there's, uh, what, 10 people coming off the lease salary cap this year that could all be uh, potential options for Pittsburgh just because if, like, Kyle Dubas goes there, you know, pass leaves as well. Um, I don't know. Yeah. But, I mean, like, also, that could not happen at all. It could literally just be none of those guys go and he picks out a new batch. You know what I mean? Like maybe Fenway group says yeah. we're not bringing in Susan Marie Greyhounds and we're not bringing in former leads just because you know them. We're bringing in people who are best suited. And then there he goes. He gets put in to the fire. But I do think to answer your question, I do think it will probably be like, if he gets the job in the next couple of weeks, it'll be like, here's your tasks. Actually Toronto will probably block it until July 30th or June 30th. So then he'll start after the draft They'll probably block any kind of draft involvement, any kind of GM work until then. And then July 1st, when the contract starts, they'll say you have till December 31st to see what you can do. And then by that time, if we're not, if it's not working out, we're tearing it down. And then by the deadline, they'll probably trade the pieces, which isn't the worst thing to happen. Like if you sign, say, Phil Kessel, and then you trade Phil Kessel at the deadline, you know what I mean? Like, or Max Domi, say, you know, then those type of guys would probably bring you back picks and prospects who would help your team. So well, maybe. We'll no, not maybe not right away, but I mean Pittsburgh has literally nothing. Like Pittsburgh has no 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 I know, but like if Kessel if they bring in Kessel and he has a crappy year, then they're not going to get as much form as they expected. Well that's so they true. could only get like a six round pick in a, a prospect who's going to be potentially bomb six and will never really amount to what they need, right? Like that's a high true. end They'll get more of a low end guy, which I mean is still prospect than a pick. But like if 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 they're going into rebuild and Crosby Malkin are on their way out, then I, I feel like they're going to try to, or at least want someone in return who could step in and replace them when they finally retire. Yeah, Alex Nylander. Oh yeah, Alex Nylander and William Nylander. Um. Yeah. Okay, so we're about three quarters done. Um. Let's get a, a a break for our ad read and our show sponsors. We'll come back. Okay. We'll talk potentially what this means for Sheldon Keefe and a potential core for trade. Or will there be one? Because a lot of people now are saying that Shanahan told the players on the press or on the video call or on the team call that for staying. No proof of that. However, we will see and we'll talk about when we come back on the other side. So stay with us. We'll be back after these words. 
Play the lamp during the hockey playoffs with DraftKings Sportsbook. Right now, new customers can make just a $5 bet and score $150 in free bonus bets instantly. One series that I'm going to be betting on is the Toronto-Tampa series. Obviously, least fan, least podcast, least bet. Right now, for Game 6, Tampa and Toronto both share the same odds at minus 110. I'm going to be putting my money on the Toronto Maple Leafs to win in Game 6. So download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and sign up with code THPN. New customers can make a $5 bet and score $150 in bonus bets instantly. That code, THPN, only at DraftKings Sportsbook. Eligibility restrictions apply. See notes for details. Let's face it. With coffee starting at $5 and our bank accounts somehow always depleting, we are officially entering a dupe session. Most products do the same thing but are priced differently solely based on the brand name. So a good duplicate, or dupe, is critical for getting the highest quality at the best price. One dupe you definitely shouldn't sleep on, Raycon wireless earbuds. Raycon is premium audio at the perfect price point so you can listen to what you want, when you want, without breaking the bank. Raycon's mission is to prove that you shouldn't have to pay an arm and a leg for quality sound and essential smart tech listening features. You can get a pair and a spare and still pay less than you would for some of the other more big-name tech brands. Raycon knows that in this economy, every purchase needs to be perfect, so they have a buy-now-pay-later option. Right now, you can pay just $18 at checkout. They also have easy and free return guarantees and offer a two-year product protection insurance for just a few extra bucks. And they also offer free domestic shipping and flat-rate international shipping. If you check out their website, they have over 50,000 five-star reviews. A few of my personal favorite features of the Raycon earbuds are the tap functions, the crystal clear call audio quality, and the eight hours of playtime. So go to buyraycon.com slash THPN today to get 15% off of your next Raycon order. That's buyraycon.com slash THPN to score 15% off. Enjoy. Play the lamp during the hockey playoffs with DraftKings Sportsbook. Right now, new customers can make just a $5 bet and score $150 in free bonus bets instantly. One series that I'm going to be betting on is the Toronto-Tampa series. Obviously, Leafs fan, Leafs podcast, Leafs bet. Right now, for Game 6, Tampa and Toronto both share the same odds at minus 110. I'm going to be putting my money on the Toronto Maple Leafs to win in Game 6. So download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and sign up with code THPN. New customers can make a $5 bet and score $150 in bonus bets instantly. That code, THPN, only at DraftKings Sportsbook. Eligibility restrictions apply. See notes for details. Let's face it. With coffee starting at $5 and our bank accounts somehow always depleting, we are officially entering a dupe session. Most products do the same thing but are priced differently solely based on the brand name. So a good duplicate, or dupe, is critical for getting the highest quality at the best price. One dupe you definitely shouldn't sleep on, Raycon wireless earbuds. Raycon is premium audio at the perfect price point so you can listen to what you want, when you want, without breaking the bank. Raycon's mission is to prove that you shouldn't have to pay an arm and a leg for quality sound and essential smart tech listening features. You can get a pair and a spare 
and still pay less than you would for some of the other more big-name tech brands. Raycon knows that in this economy, every purchase needs to be perfect, so they have a buy now, pay later option. Right now, you can pay just $18 at checkout. They also have easy and free return guarantees and offer a two-year product protection insurance for just a few extra bucks. And they also offer free domestic shipping and flat rate international shipping. If you check out their website, they have over 50,000 five-star reviews. A few of my personal favorite features of the Raycon earbuds are the tap functions, the crystal clear call audio quality, and the eight hours of playtime. So go to buyraycon.com slash THPN today to get 15% off of your next Raycon order. That's buyraycon.com slash THPN to score 15% off. Enjoy. Uh, so write down that code THPN, uh, win some dollars, and get yourself a new pair of Raycon headphones because they are the bomb diggity. Uh, we're going to send over to Scott. We're going to be talking a little bit about what's next for Sheldon Keefe. Brendan Shanahan said in his press conference after letting go Kyle Dubas that the new that any contract this, or coaching decisions, coaching staff decisions, et cetera, et cetera, will be up to the new GM. So, Scott, you're the new GM. What do you do? Fire or let him walk, whatever. If his contract's up, I don't know. Uh, it is not I up. think we mentioned – okay, well, then fire him. I think I mentioned, at least me anyway, I don't know if you jumped in on it, but when we did the Florida series wrap-up podcast that uh, he seems to be a little out of his element at times around games. He was out-coached even on home ice. He was not getting the specific matchups that everybody would expect he would want uh, with last change. Um, I feel like at this point in their careers, Toronto needs a coach who is a veteran coach who knows – situations, playoff uh, situation, performance, experience. Uh, Sheldon Keith doesn't really have that. He, to me, he seems more like a coach who you bring in when you're in a rebuild that you can build along with, and then it comes a time where the team isn't winning with them, so you get rid of him and bring another guy in, which I think is where Toronto's at at this point. Uh, I said right away once we talked about who a potential new coach would be that Toronto should bring in Bruce Boudreaux. Uh, just because he used to play, he's an Ontario guy, Leafs fan. Uh, but any veteran coach who isn't like a Mike Babcock screaming yeah, he's at a player you, coach. bench you for not yeah, a player coach. Yeah, having one bad shift. But like a veteran um, who knows what it takes to win because he's been in those situations. But also, yeah, is, is a player coach. Uh, so anybody of that stature will do, but I, the first one that popped in my head was Bruce Boudreaux, so um, I think that'd be cool. Um, yeah, and when me and you talked this morning about this, we said uh, he he played here. He's obviously from here. He played here, and so he knows what the market brings. You know what I mean? He knows exactly what yeah. uh, is, is expected, exactly what 1967 means. You know what I mean? Like, I just think that it would be a viable option. Yeah. The only issue I'd have with him is that if he is a fan, he might have more of a bias towards certain things. 
Whereas, like, a coach who didn't grow up a Leafs fan or isn't a Leafs fan. I know, like, coaches say they don't have bias, but that's not true. Every coach has a bias between players, teams, locations, management, whatever. But I feel like maybe that being a Leafs fan well, could hurt him in the long run because um, he'll be more worried about bringing a cup to Toronto, I guess, in a way. And it might not work out for him because he'll be trying to coach too hard to make sure it happens as opposed to just being the coach and making sure the team's winning. Um, wow, that was a horrible sound. I I agree with that. I think another one who played here who knows the the team uh, dynamic, not this team dynamic, but how the organization works, that could be an option is Travis Green. Uh, he's a bit of a hard ass, similar to Mike Babcock, but not at the same time. Mike Babcock was more of the this is my team, this is how I work, this is like you know what I mean, Sunstone. Travis Green did have some success with with uh, um, with Vancouver, but then ultimately the team gave up on him, which is the life that's the shelf life of any NHL coach. Like that happens, but I do I do think Travis Green would be an option. Um, there's also Draglant, probably not. Uh, Daryl Sutter, probably not. There's also I forget his name. He's the uh, HL uh, affiliates coach for Calgary Flames. Calgary might give him an option or a chance to coach. However, if not, Toronto should potentially jump all over that because he's a two-time coach of the year in the NHL. He's apparently a proven coach. He knows what to do. There's also other guys that are free agents like Dallas Aikens, um, Brad Larson. I don't see those guys coming here, to be honest, but they're just options out there. Yeah. Um, also, in the GM search, we forgot to mention Chris Draper. A lot of people are linking Chris Draper and Brent Shanahan from their Detroit days. Um, and with that, if that is the case, like say, for example, the other thing you got to remember is like there's going to be coaches who come with GMs. That, that usually happens, right? So Travis Green comes. Potentially, the GM has no um, – say it's, say it's Brandon Pritham, right? He's got to pick the best coach available. But like if Brad Trey Living comes – he said, uh, what's his name? Uh, Bill Peters, who can't coach in the NHL anymore. And Daryl Sutter, who apparently he despised. Um, I forget who else he had after that. Anyways, he will probably have to look for a new GM. Mark Hunter will probably have to look for a new GM. But Eric Tolsky could be an option to bring in someone from the Carolina Hurricanes. You know what I mean? Like sometimes GMs and coaches go hand in hand. Another G- a coach that I think Toronto should give a whole bunch of consideration to is Andrew Burnett. He took over last year in Florida, helped them lead them, helped lead them to a President's Trophy. Although, yes, he had trouble in the playoffs. He's had a ton of mentoring with Lindy Ruff, an experienced coach. So I think that could be an yeah. option too. Knows how to handle bigger players. He handled Drew, uh, Drew, uh, Huberdeau, Barkov. Um, this year's handled Jack Hughes, uh, Nico Heischer. He's gotten the most out of. He's the offensive, uh, basically the offensive coordinator on their team. He, I think, he runs the power play. He helps sub the offensive lines. Um, and and New Jersey's no slouch, and when it comes to talent, they've got a decent amount of talent. So I mean, he could be a valuable option. Yeah. However, I'll be good with anybody who doesn't play Justin Hall. Exactly, there could still be an option of Sheldon Keefe coming back. But if Sheldon Keefe comes back, it's not going to be the same Sheldon Keefe, Kyle Dubas relationship, right? Like if we have Brad Treliving yeah. and he sees 
I don't let's just say, for example, he brings in Zadorov. He wants Zadorov from Calgary to play or Oliver Shillington or Mackenzie Weaker, whomever, and he wants him to play. Kyle Dubas is probably going to have to eat his socks and say, you know, Sheldon Keefe. What I say, Kyle Dubas? Yeah, Sheldon Keefe, sorry. Um, yeah. But yeah, this is where it gets interesting to be a Leafs fan because a new GM probably means a new coach. Maybe the board wants a new coach, but they're going to leave that up to the GM. Maybe that's one thing that they're talking to GMs in the meetings or in the interviews. Like, if you get if you get hired, well, would you bring in a new coach? Yeah, I mean, one thing's for sure though. It's not. I mean, we already mentioned it a bit. Uh, definitely not the sky's falling. Like the foundation of this team is already set. the The players of the future have already pretty much been determined. Besides the guys that are going to get drafted this year, next year, whatever. Uh, it's pretty much just you need a guy who can come in and add those depth pieces, those extra secondary pieces that can help you move past uh, what they've been to, what they have done when your star players aren't necessarily performing. And we thought this year was that, but it turns out no. Uh, but, like, odds are they're going to resign Matthews. And if he walks, they're not, not let him go for nothing. So he'll get traded. He'll bring in a return, a massive return. Uh, odds are they're going to bring back Nylander if they can afford him. If not, He's not leaving for nothing. They're going to bring in a massive return. Same with Marner. Same with potentially uh, John Tavares. Maybe not as big a return as the other three, but they'll still get some form. Everybody's talking like Matthews is just going to leave for nothing and Toronto's going to be shit in the bed waiting for another superstar player, which you may not get another lev- Matthews level player for a couple of years, but you'll still get players in return or picks in return who can develop into players that could that can lead the team into the future. So that, like, it seems like on Twitter specifically, people are saying that whoever the new GM is, Matthews has already decided he's not coming back. They're going to trade to Nylander and then at least Marner out the door, and then they're going to have nothing, and they're going to go back to rebuilding. That's not true at all because you still have Matthew Nice coming. You have Ronnie Herman coming. You have Toby Nelson coming. You have Joseph Wall, who pretty much proved in this playoff season NHL goalie. Like, you still have pieces that are coming in the future, plus – more than likely, Matthews and Marner, Matthews, Nylander, or even Nylander and Marner coming back. Like, Toronto's not going to have nothing just because they're getting a new GM. Yeah, the other thing that I, I, I need to stress a lot, which I don't understand why people are freaking out as much as they are. Yes, Matthews has one year left on July 1st. We know it. Everyone's known it. We've known it for four years. We've known it for five years. We've known it since he signed that deal. It's been something that people, these fans have marked on their calendar. It's been something other fan bases have continuously brought up over and over again. How exactly. Yes, the chances of him re-signing with Kyle Dubas were probably significantly higher. Regardless if it's July 1st or December 1st or May 1st. However, if you look at the grand scheme of things, Toronto has control of that player for one more year. I understand July 1st, there's a no movement clause slash no trade clause. No movement means obviously in Sheldon or Kyle, um, awesome Matthews case, it literally just means no trade. It means no movement means can't be put on waivers, can't be sent down. No movement. Everything has to be every movement that you would think, any transaction that you would think of for a player has to be okayed with him. So if he got sent down, has to be okay with him. If he got uh, terminated the first contract, has to be okay. If he gets traded, has to be okay. If he gets uh, whatever, like legitimately any movement style contract or transaction has to be okay. Whereas no trade, you can waive them, you can send them down. They're not doing that with Austin Matthews. However, 
And this is the this is the point that people need to beat home. If Toronto doesn't re-sign him, and it's a not a David Pasternak situation where they re-sign him throughout the year, which it could be because things could be different. Things could, you know, Elliot Freeman reported that uh, the exit interviews were were brutally honest. It was some tough times for people to hear, and that was a player who who told Elliot Freeman on the team that he thinks just on that, that it could be an interesting couple of weeks but leading up to the draft because apparently the, a lot of the main players were brutally honest about what had happened and what, what caused them to lose. Some people put the blame on the coach. Anyways, if he doesn't re-sign next year, Tron gets beat on the second round, third round, whatever. The only time that people need to panic is if they get beat on the fourth round. Or they they, sorry, if they make it to the finals and they either win or lose. If they win, he's obviously resigning. But if they lose and he doesn't want to come back, which I don't see happening, then you have less time. But if they get beyond the first round or second round, they still have until that July 1st to then offer him to another team. He's got no trade clause. It's probably a full no trade clause, not limited. So say, for example, he does want to sign in L.A. Toronto would grant Austin Matthews permission, similar to what Calgary did with Austin or Matthew Kachuk, and then they would pull a package from him. The package may be down significantly. However, if they traded him this July first, they would still the other team would still need to know if he wants to resign. No one's going to give up Anze Kopitar, um, Quinn Byfield, and Drew Doughty for Austin Matthews if he's not going to stay there. So nothing really changes. You get one more year of Austin Matthews regardless. If he resigns, he resigns. Yeah. If not, and you need to trade him, it's going to be fairly similar to the Matthew Kachuk thing. He might choose the Rangers. He might choose, um, you know, uh, Toronto might say, we don't want to trade you to an Eastern Conference team. Obviously, you get to cho- choose. You get to choose which team. But would we preferred if it wasn't Eastern Conference? Austin Matthews may respect that and say, all right, well, let's go to the Western side. How about Anaheim? Anaheim's, or how about Chicago? They've got Connor Bedard. How about Anaheim? They've got Trevor Zegers. How about Arizona? How about L.A.? Okay, what's your price? They talked to Rob Blake. He says he wants 15 times five. Okay, there you go. 15 times five. Now we're you've got the deal in place with him. Now we need to work on a deal f- to get him there. We'll take Quinn Byfield, Sean Dursey, uh, Sean Walker, or Steve Walker, whatever that guy's defenseman's name, and uh, Kevin Fiala, say. I know that's an um, enormous package, but I think Matthew Kachuk got two players, so Austin Matthews could probably get four. Maybe they throw in a draft pick, done. Toronto then just recouped a whole bunch of players for Austin Matthews. People need to relax because panic city doesn't help. He's not, if he leaves this offseason, he leaves this offseason. But people are acting like it's it's July 1st or bust, but it's not. Really? <coughs> the only thing that's changed is that they're not going to work on a deal, like you said, by July 1st. Like, everybody's like, yeah, every, the sky's falling, he's leaving. But the new GM that they bring in could Maybe not like obviously first day, but you never know. It could be first day. Could have or develop into a better relationship than what Matthews and Dubas had, and then they'll just work on a deal and he'll resign. Everybody's I, just like you said. Everybody's just assuming that he's leaving because Dubas isn't there to negotiate the contract beforehand. But the new GM they bring in isn't going to be a rookie. Yeah, it's not going to be his first day on the job. And he's also, know Brandon Brigham's there. He's going to negotiate the contract anyways. Well, yeah. Why? Yeah. But, like, it's not like they're bringing in a guy who's never been a GM before and he has no idea what he's doing. Like, odds are whoever they bring in as GM, their first, besides maybe the draft, their first 
probably priority, number one priority, it will be re-signing Austin Matthews. So they'll put all their effort, or as much effort as they can, around the draft into negotiating a contract with him. And why is like, that? Just, what is that? No, like, why is that? Him? Because he's the second best player in the league. And, and he, because every team the, wants him. the ownership group is going to make that a priority. The, the interviews are going to be based. Well, yeah. What is your process of getting Austin Matthews signed? Brad Treloving says he's the face of the franchise. I just I think he deserves to be captain. You know what I mean? Then maybe they go to Austin Matthews and say, "No, what's your poison?" He says, "I want to be captain and I'll stay." Not I know that's petty and that probably will never happen, but you know what I mean? Like, yeah, things take time. If you had a new relationship, like it, it, think of people need to think of hockey players, GMs, whatever, as relationships. Maybe not the love type of relationship, but like if you're into a new relationship with a girl and or a boy and or whomever, and they ask you to move away two weeks later, are you going to do it? Probably not. But but that's but that's just it though. Like if they bring in Bradtree Living as their new GM, the first time him and Austin Matthews meet, they can automatically go into it, like realize that they have like a great relationship. Like the second they meet, they can realize that they like Austin Matthews likes Bradtree Living. Bradtree Living likes Austin Matthews. Right, like it's yeah. it may not take a week; it could yeah. take a day for the GM and the player to realize that the, yeah, they got a good thing, a rapport between them. But everybody's always ever the the big thing everybody seems to be stuck on is Kyle Dubas can't negotiate the deal before July first. Okay, Kyle Dubas isn't the only experienced GM in the league. If you bring in Brian Living, who's been a GM for twelve years, if you bring in the guy from Carolina, if you bring in anybody who's been a GM before, they know how to negotiate contracts. They're not just going to be like, oh, Austin Matthews, you didn't sign by July 1st, so we can't give you a contract until the season's over. The second they're named GM, they're probably going to call Austin Matthews' agent and be like, what's it going to take to re-sign him? And if he says, at that point, maybe I don't want to stay, then you you can worry about trading him or you can try to convince him after that. But it just seems like because Dubas isn't there to negotiate the contract before July 1st, automatically everybody just assumes that he's already out the door which is the dumbest thing you could possibly do. Yeah, and the thing that confuses me the most is Kyle Dubas may have had the relationship with Austin Matthews, but the direction of the team is still uncertain. That's the reason why Austin Matthews wouldn't want to sign here, is if the direction of the team is uncertain. You know what I mean? The direction of the team isn't uncertain, though. No, but I'm saying... Well, okay. Let's just say, like, it could be realistically. We we think it's not, but in inside, they could have told the players. Like, Branch Hanna could have told the players after Kyle Dubas was gone. And I, from what I've heard, people say, like, um, insiders and other people write articles on, is that the general gist of the the players meeting with Branch Hanna after Kyle Dubas got let go was the core is going to remain intact. However, let's just say he didn't say. Let's just say we're leaving everything up on the table for the new GM and that puts everyone in a nervous panic for the players. And then fast forward six weeks and, and Mitch Barnes traded. Okay. Even if this was Kyle Dubas that had to make that trade, the future would still be uncertain for Austin Matthews. You know what I mean? Like he would then have to gel with the new player that he gets. Like everything right now is circled around Austin Matthews to an extent, but that, that extent doesn't mean that he's gone. Like he could ask to be traded this offseason, but just because he's not getting a contract by July first doesn't mean the trade request is gonna be in. 
Like, it just seems to me like there's so many things that could alter his decision. As you mentioned, Brad Trillivan could be a really nice guy and they hit it off. Eric Tolsky could be a really nice guy and they hit it off. Excuse me. Freaking Mark Bergevan could be a really nice guy and they hit it off. It could just be instant, instantaneous connections. But everything is going to go through Austin Matthews when they sign the new GM and they potentially get a new coach, or maybe it's Sheldon Keefe, and they're going to sit down Austin Matthews and say, here's the direction of the team. They're going to sit down Mitch Marner, William Nealander, John Tavares, maybe in a group, and they're going to say, here's the direction of the team. We're going to look to I, Tyler Bertuzzi. We're going to look to I, potentially Alex Kalorn. We're going to look to I, Dimitri Orloff. We're going to bring back Ryan O'Reilly. Here's the trade targets that we have. You know what I mean? And maybe Austin Matthews says, damn, this could be exciting, because people get stuck in the same uh, comfort zone. Austin Matthews has always had Kyle Dubas, has always had well, for a little bit, Mike Babcock, but then Sheldon Keefe. You know I mean, things have always been the same. Maybe he'll. Yeah, like, but that, that's the thing. I, I like that. That's why I'm confused on people saying that the direction of the team is unknown, because the new GM is going to come in with the core already set, with a, a probably a, a prominent interest in re-signing or bringing the core back. And then what he's going to do is exactly what Kyle Dubas did this year: is bring in depth six role play pieces to can help accentuate what the core four does bring in Alice Kalorn or bring back Ryan O'Reilly bring in Tyler Bertuzzi like the new GM isn't going to come in and just get rid of everybody yeah no the core of the team is already set their their role will be bringing in pieces that can help them win based around what the core that's already set yeah Yeah. what people are saying that the, the, the 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 direction of the team is uncertain when to me, anyway, it's, it's going to be a lot almost identical to what happened this year. Is that they're going to bring in a Ryan O'Reilly type player, they're going to bring in a Lafferty type player, yeah, to help accentuate the core that could help us get past the second round. But there could also be the chance that, like, that's what we think, that's what I think, that's what you think. But there could also be the chance that internally. Maybe it's William Nylander. But, maybe they're going to try and trade but John. Is Navarre. that actually? But all that is just speculation at this point. No, and I know, and I know. Everybody's basing basing that around. No, no, I'm not saying you're saying, but there's been reports that are saying, like, Nylander's getting traded. Matthews isn't re-signing. Marner may not be happy, but that's just speculation. Everybody's basing the sky is falling, Matthews is leaving, they need to rebuild, the GM's going to tear everything down, based around all these insiders putting out their speculation of what they could possibly be hearing from the team that may not even be true. Like, for all we know, Austin Matthews is perfectly happy with Toronto, even with Kyle Dubas gone, and he's going to re-sign no matter what. But because reports are coming out that they're not going to re-sign him by July 1st, all of a sudden it's thrown the whole team in, in disarray, which that may not even be true. Behind the scenes, Austin Matthews could be laughing at everybody saying, I don't know what they're talking about. It's well within my, my uh, like, uh, I was going to re-sign no matter what. Kyle Dubas leaving doesn't really change anything. But because Elliot Freeman put out a report saying that this hinders their July 1st renegotiation, now everybody's saying the, the team is in disarray, the new GM has a lot of things to do. But in reality, this year, maybe you worry about that after this coming season, but at least for this coming season, I don't see them really doing anything different than what Kyle Davis did last year. Yeah, yeah, I, I would agree. I and, would think and, the same. And yeah, Austin Matthews and all them were saying like, yeah, we want to stay at the at the exit interviews. Maybe Kyle Dubas leaving lowered that a, a, a bit, but I still don't see how that is going to be a massive change that's going to everybody's already out the door. 
because, like we said, the new GM and Ozzy Matthews could have a great relationship, and he could want to, he he'll just resign. And if he doesn't, and he doesn't, he wants to leave, then you worry about that when the time comes, which isn't this offseason. You have a whole season to negotiate with him to convince him to stay. But it just seems like all these reports are coming out saying the big four aren't happy. Matthews is leaving. Dubis firing Dubis changed everything. Is Sheldon Keith gone? Um, like we need to resign Matthews, but we can't now because Kyle Dubis is gone. Mitch Marner's happy. He's gonna get or unhappy. He's gonna get traded. Nylander's out the door. We need to get rid of John Tavares. But uh, right now it's all just speculation. There's not actually a solidified fact of any of that being true. Also, uh, sorry, just uh, just got a, twi- a tweet out. Just saw it. Um, Eritalski and Dan uh, McKinnon have been told that they're out for the races. Penguins uh, general manager Mark Burge, Van Pietrelli were informed as such last week. So it could it, it, the Eritalski thing that we talked about could realistically be a, a viable option for the Leafs. Yeah, um, like, which he has a track record like, of building. Yeah, and he also has a track record of being in Carolina for eight years, two years as the assistant GM. And what 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 was the premise that we just talked about? The premise of that whole conversation that we talked about the core was basically don't give up on the core yet. Think about it. Carolina or Colorado didn't give up on the core. Washington didn't. Um, Carolina hasn't. So Eratoski has also a track record of keeping the same core and adding pieces that that are important, which they've done. So. I just thought that was a little tie-in because, like, basically, like, I don't know if you saw that tweet a couple of weeks back, Scott, but it was basically, like, listing. It took uh, um, Nick Backstrom and, 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 and Alex Ovechkin in eight years. It took McKinnon and uh, Langscock and Rayton yeah. in this many years. It, like, It took Yazerman, like, 11. Yeah. Like, we don't need to give up on the core so quick. Which is another issue I think a lot of people have is that, for some reason, when someone throws out the word rebuild, it's just five-year plan. And, yeah, I know that the Ch- Shanahan said five years, but that was, like, optimistic. But it just seems like in today's sports world, specifically, like, hockey, baseball, maybe even basketball, but basketball is a little different because you could just trade. There seems to be more trade for star players than, than develop into star players. Um, but, like, uh, so we'll stick with hockey. It's like when, when a team says rebuild, Everybody expects them to be winning a Stanley Cup within five years. And then when they don't win it in that fifth year, everybody hops back off the bandwagon and says the star players can't perform. They need to, to, to change things up, which is exactly what happened with Toronto. Like, yeah, they said we're going to be competing for a Stanley Cup within five years, which technically they were. They didn't make the Stanley Cup final, but they were in those – even the first year of Matthews, like full year of Matthews, Martin, Nylander, they were like the third best team in the league. They've been consistently a top five team in the league the last seven years. How is that not competing for a Stanley Cup? Yeah, they haven't made it out of the first round besides this year, but that doesn't mean that they still weren't competing for a cup. So technically their plan succeeded. They just didn't win. But it seems like when what, the second a fan hears, uh, hears rebuild, they just automatically assume that by the end of that fifth year, they're going to be a Stanley Cup champion, which besides maybe Chicago, Pittsburgh, with Taves, Kane, Crosby, Malkin, isn't reality for anybody. Like, how long did it take Stamkos to win Seneca? Ovechkin, uh, Yzerman, hell, even like Mario Lemieux. 
he started playing on what, 83 and didn't win until 91? Oh, I can tell you right now. Sam Coast was drafted in 2008, didn't win until 2019. Edmund yeah. was drafted in 2009, didn't win until 2019. Landis Kaga McKinnon, 2011, 2013, didn't win, 2012, didn't win until 2021. And Ovechkin and Backstrom, 20, 2004, and, 2006, 2018 you, is when they won. And you know why? Because they didn't because give up every year there's – well, no, yeah, but I mean like why they didn't win before those years. Is because every year there's favors to win favorites to win the Santa Cup. But every it seems like every year there's always one team that isn't even looked at as a Santa Cup favorite that just dominates the playoffs. And then the team that is supposed to win or the team that has been built to win has to struggle to win. Look at LA in what was that, twenty fourteen, where nobody expected them even to make it on the first round. And they yeah. won the Santa Cup. Carolina when they won it. Uh, Florida this year. Montreal, when they made it to the Santa Cup final against Tampa Bay. Like, every year there's teams that nobody looks at as Santa Cup favorites, and they still completely just walk all over teams that have been built to win Stanley Cups because it's hard to win a Stanley Cup. Sure, there's some players who do it within their first couple years, but odds are if you're building a championship-caliber team, it's going to take time to win a Stanley Cup because there's always the unknown that's possible, which in the NHL is prevalent every year. Yeah. So Toronto not making it on the first round for seven years. Yeah, it's crap. But, like, you can't say that they weren't a good team. You can't say that they weren't a, technically a Stanley Cup favorite because every year, besides maybe the Washington year, they were. They were a Stanley Cup favorite. So technically their plan succeeded. But just because people have this in their mind that if a team's rebuilding, they have a certain amount of time to win a Stanley Cup. But that's not true. Like, Matthews has been here for, what, eight years? And, yeah, he could leave. But in those eight years, can you honestly say that Toronto's been a failure because they didn't win one Stanley Cup? No, because they were the best team in the league, arguably, or at least the top five team in the league, all every year of those eight years. They just couldn't couldn't do it in the playoffs because the unknown took over. Yeah. So, yeah. If, if like, look at other teams that have been rebuilding. Like, Buffalo's been rebuilding for, what, eight years? And they've never even made the playoffs. Ottawa was supposed to be a playoff team this year in their third year or fourth year of their rebuild, and they didn't make the playoffs. Montreal's in the second year of their rebuild, and they're still one of the worst teams in the league with superstar-level players. So, like, Toronto making – being the level of a team they were in Matthew's first year is an accomplishment of itself. Being a top-five team in the league for Matthew's eight years, if he leaves after the next year, nine years, is an accomplishment in and of itself. It's just for some reason people have it in their mind that you need to win a Stanley Cup within the first five years of rebuilding or it's a failure. But it's not. It's still an accomplishment. Yeah, and and I don't know. I think the, the biggest thing is obviously the media. The media makes a lot of things worse, but the fans, just the on and off, like you're on the bandwagon, you're off the bandwagon. They do want to play us. They win one game, they're out. And then it just, between the collection of of bandwagon fans and other predominant band, uh, tam, uh, fan bases like Boston and Ottawa and Montreal, and I guess you could put Detroit in there, but basically just those three and Edmonton fans who are just constantly ripping on the Leafs fans because they're happy that they won. Like people celebrate that they won for the first time in 19 years, and people said that was our Stanley Cup. That's an accomplishment for these players. Yeah. You don't. You, you know, don't understand. You know the who pressure. else celebrated like they? You know who else celebrated like they won the Stanley Cup in round one? 
Florida when they beat Boston. Everybody was praising them. Yep. Yeah, they were the underdog. But, like, if Toronto gets ripped on for winning the Stanley Cup in round one, then how come Florida didn't? How come Edmonton didn't? How come the Rangers or the New Jersey Devils didn't, whoever won the other series? Like, every team celebrates when they win a playoff series. Um, also, um, also, Toronto or Florida, Florida celebrated when they won against Toronto, and they're going to celebrate hard when they when they win if they win against Carolina. No, oh. there was a point either this year or last year where Winnipeg celebrated like they won the Stanley Cup when they beat Toronto in a in a regular season game. I can't remember which if it was this year or last year, but like they were like pretty much champagne in the locker room. Celebrating like they won the Stanley Cup when they beat the Toronto Maple Leafs, but Toronto gets ripped on for winning a playoff series for the first time in 19 years. I, I think I remember that year. I don't know what that noise is every time I talk in the background of your of your computer. It just sounds like I'm the dragon. Um, I forget. Uh, I forget what. Um, I was gonna say now. Oh, I, I think I remember that year because that was the fan. That was the year that the fans were were chanting something. And I remember yeah, me, was... me and you wrote it down on our phones. We're like, when Trump beats Florida next, we're gonna put this on Twitter. And then they never, and they never beat Florida. <laughs> yeah. Um. Yeah, I don't know. It's just it's a, it's a, a weird a weird uh, situation where everybody every time something even not even relatively bad. Just something changes within Toronto, and it's always the sky's falling. For all you know, the new GM could make Toronto even better. But because everybody sees it as a negative, it's the sky's falling. Yeah. Yeah. And if they don't make Toronto better, and Austin Matthews leaves, and we get rid of Mitch Marner, and we have to do a small retool, then we'll have to do a small retool. Odds are they'll still be a playoff team. You may not be a top three team in the East, but Florida's shown this year that you don't have to be a top three team in the East to win a Stanley Cup, to completely dominate the three teams who were the top three teams in the East. Um, I just wanted to point this out quickly. Uh, what was it in? This one? Nope. This one? Okay. So... Uh, April 11, 2023 was the day that changed hockey this season. And this just goes to show exactly what Scott was talking about. The Blackhawks beat the Penguins 5-2. to two. This game cost pe- the Penguins, who were the odds-on favorite to get into the playoffs over the Florida Panthers, lost, made them lose their, their clinching of the playoff berth. Florida clinched. The Blackhawks moved back into the lottery odds. And got the number one pick, and now Florida is one win away from the Stanley Cup final. And then, obviously, Chicago went on and, and to win that draft lottery. Um, that one game just shows that exactly what you're saying about there's there's it's tough, it's hard. There's odd there's odds on winners, and and then there's each year there's uh, like you you had mentioned the Kings. Um, who was it last year? Wasn't there a team, or maybe the year before? Oh, Montreal. Well, when they beat Toronto, yeah, in the in the bubble or the yeah, the All Canadian Division. Yeah, 
and Montreal went on to, to lose to Vegas and then lost to Tampa. Or uh, beat Vegas, or and then lose no, to Tampa. They, they lost. They lost the Stanley Cup in the final. Yeah. Yeah, and then the year they before the that, uh, there was one other team, and we, you and I, had said like if Toronto would have won against Boston, then they had a clear cut path. Anyways, it happens every year. This is nothing new. But for some Which, reason, when now that I think about it, sorry, go go. No, no, you. I was just gonna say every year that it happens, it's just the same narrative. But anyways, continue. I was going to say, which now that I think about it, is maybe one of the reasons, Now, like I, I've never actually thought in this in depth about it, but that's probably the number one reason why I don't like basketball. It's because rarely the the, the underdog wins. The, the best teams always win. Like you could argue maybe the Raptors championship, but like most people, like Golden State always makes the finals. LeBron James always makes the finals. Now that Giannis is a superstar, Cleveland or Milwaukee pretty much always, Boston pretty much always. Like, it's always just the best teams, the best players always win. But, like, football maybe is a mix. But, like, hockey, baseball, like, there's always a chance that the underdog could win a game because of those unknown events that are happening within the game. Like, look at, was it the Boston Red Sox? Were they not, when they won in 2004 or whatever, were they not a wildcard team? Yeah. And then they come back. They came back from 3-0 against the Yankees for a first sweep. Yep. Like nobody expected them to even be in that situation, and that they're beating the best team in the league. Like uh, I, I think that's one of the reasons why I don't like basketball. It's because when a team finally gets to that level of being considered one of the best in the league, they just always win. Yeah. And it's not until they they're old or they're rebuilding that they finally fall back down to not being one of the best leagues because the players that they had that made them the best are gone. And it's always the same. Players, teams, LeBron's always there. The Warriors are always there. Kevin Durant's always there. Now Giannis is there. Jokic is there. Like, there's never – maybe the, the last time I can remember, if if you don't count the Toronto Raptors, because technically they were one of the best teams in the East, is the, the Detroit Pistons in, like, 2003. But every other year after that, pretty much you could just tell who was going to win or be at least Final Four in the NBA. Yeah. Um, I think we covered everything. Yeah, I think so. I, th- I think that was a good pod. Um, so we're going to wrap it up now. Uh, and is that good with you? Yeah. All right. So subscribe to our uh, our website. Give us a rate and review. Check out our Twitter page and make sure you twitter, check out our Twitter page if you're a fan of the pod for further updates on when we'll be back. Um, yeah, we we did more therapy, so uh, we'll be back with you in a couple of weeks. Talk soon. Thanks. Thanks.